Hello everyone. Welcome to episode 16 of the True Board Podcast. I am your co-host, Akinola Logunde. In this podcast, I, along with my brother, Bidemi Logunde, present global news, updates, rumors, and in-depth analysis of the beautiful game of football, also popularly known as soccer. Today on the show, I will be discussing the effects of FIFA's proposed biennial World Cup tournament on women's football. Thank you for your time. Let's get to it. On December 20, 2021, reports came out that FIFA President Gianni Infantino believed he had achieved the majority majority backing that was required for his biennial World Cup plan. This was after national football leaders were told that the switch would create an, an extra $4.4 billion in revenues for the world body. FIFA had earlier held a global summit, in quotes, of leaders of national football federations to discuss its proposal to increase the frequency of the World Cup from every four years to two. The financial data form part of an overall feasibility study, of which FIFA presented a summary on Monday, December 20, 2021, with a full page 700, with a full 2700 page report that was set to be published. The findings, however, are in sharp contrast to analysis put forward by critics of the proposal. There has also been opposition from European clubs, the top leagues, and the European governing body UEFA, whose president, Alexander Cheferin, threatened to boycott any additional tournament. Infantino said no vote was scheduled for the plan, but that the majority was in place for the idea and that it needed to be dealt with as part of the broader overall of the international March calendar. However, one compromise solution was floated by the CONCACAF president, Victor Montagliani, who heads the Confederation for North and Central American and the Caribbeans. He said that the additional tournaments could be a revamped version of the old Confederations Cup, rather than a full World Cup with a separate qualifying process. In November 2021, a report commissioned by the World Leagues Forum said a FIFA proposal allied with changes to the club World Cup could cost the big domestic football leagues and UEFA around 8 billion euros per season in lost TV rights and match day and commercial agreements. On the other hand, a report from Nielsen predicted that the biennial World Cup plan would see revenues rise from an expected $7 billion for a 48-team tournament to more than $11.4 billion over a four-year cycle due to increased ticket receipts, media rights, and sponsorship revenues.
FIFA said that 3.5 billion of the extra 4.4 billion dollar revenue would go to a new member association solidarity fund with each national federation allocated around 16 million dollars in a four-year period while extra funds would be given to the fifa forward program for developmental projects fifa said that the funds would help reduce the gap in revenues between the developed and the less developed football markets. Alongside UEFA, South American Confederation, Comebol, has also opposed the proposal. There are, however, more issues with the Biennial World Cup than just finances and scheduling problems. The problem with FIFA leadership insisting that the Biennial World Cup would be a good thing for football is that their proposal seems to only be for the men's side of the sport. As usual with FIFA, the women's game has been an afterthought. Even though the Biennial World Cup plan might impact the women's game the most. FIFA has campaigned hard to convince everyone that a Biennial World Cup is a good idea. Even asking former Arsenal manager Arsene Wenger and former U.S. national team manager Jill Ellis to push the idea. As I mentioned earlier, FIFA released economic studies projecting that more frequent World Cups would generate an extra $4.4 billion in just the first four-year cycle, which would, of course, trickle down at $16 million in extra solidarity payments regularly per FIFA member country over the same time span. FIFA also released a survey that showed that 63.7% of fans that were surveyed around the world are in favor of more frequent men's World Cups, while 52.4% of fans are in favor of more frequent women's World Cups. However, what FIFA has not seemed interested in discussing, at least not publicly, is how the proposed Bahrainian World Cup plan would squeeze the women's game out of mainstream sports landscape and also dilute the women's World Cup itself. UEFA, which has vocally opposed the idea since its inception, put together its own study, of course, why wouldn't they, which projected that both women and women World Cups would lose viewers if they become a more regular, less special occurrence. But the Women's World Cup would lose three times as many viewers as the men's tournaments. After all, the Women's World Cup would always be up against the major well-established men's, men's tournaments under the proposed schedule, which would be tough competition for advocates of women's football. Infantino now says the men will switch their heroes from every four years to every two years under his proposed plan, which means 
the Women's World Cup will always compete with the men's heroes in a calendar year instead. But that would come on top of men's World Cup qualifying, which regularly takes 10 months for UEFA and over two years for CONCACAF. It would also be programmed on top of the Commonwealth Copa America, which, which might need to switch to a two-year cycle. An event that are already biannual, such as the CONCACAF Gold Cup and the African Cup of Nations. Meanwhile, the Women's Heroes, which reached its highest ever TV audience, and sets an attendance record last time out in 2017, will probably be forced to share its spotlight with a men's World Cup. As a result, the UEFA study projects that the women's Euros could see its revenues cut by more than half, as media rights and sponsorships will significantly lose value. The growth of a high-level women's tournament with huge potential would be abruptly stifled. Naturally, FIFA will point to the extra revenue the World Cup would generate and promise that money would go to help the development of women's football around the world. However, there is a problem with that logic. FIFA already generates a ton of revenue. Its last reported cash reserves were $2.74 billion. And it has already failed to deliver with its first ever women's football strategy, which set lofty goals for increased female participation in the sport, but offered very, very little by way of concrete metrics, budgets, or action plans. Several reports have revealed that FIFA, as rich as it is, does a poor job of distributing money where it is needed. Both large and small countries get the same cuts, regardless of need, and an even worse job of accounting for how that money actually gets spent. If FIFA cared about the development and growth of the women's game, there is one World Cup the governing body could have, a Women's Club World Cup. After all, domestic leagues for women around the world are still developing, a byproduct of a sporting landscape that saw women's football effectively banned in countries like England, Germany, and Brazil until as recently as the 1980s. These domestic leagues are how the game grows and becomes professional. The club game builds grassroots fan support, and it is how a football career can become a viable part for women around the world. It is perhaps no coincidence that as countries invest in their domestic leagues, greater success on the international stage often follows, as was seen with the cases of the Netherlands, England, and Australia. 
The Women's World Cup itself is only still growing. It will grow from 24 teams to 32 in 2023, when Australia and New Zealand will host. And there will probably be more score lines, like the infamous 13-0 drubbing of Thailand by the women's team back in 2019. These lopsided results, which are quite common in the group stages of the Women's World Cup, are the result of a massive gap in investment from these different countries in their women's programs. U.S. star Megan Rapinoe was heavily criticized for celebrating the goals she scored in that 13 zeros result back in 2019. But afterward, while speaking to the press, she hit the nail on the head. Open quote. There are some teams here that have only played a handful of games since the last World Cup or only in the qualifiers. It is embarrassing, not only for the federations, but for FIFA. And she now said, just mandate it. They mandate all kinds of things. End quote. Rapino was right. FIFA could take steps to ensure member associations care about and invest in women's programs. It could require federations to operate active national teams that actually play matches or even invest in domestic leagues for women. It could require that money and resources are spent on specific measures to boost the women's game and then actually check to make sure it has happened. FIFA has the power to prioritize women's game instead of treating it as an afterthought. In 2019, the Super Falcons, Nigeria's women's national football team, held the seating over unpaid bonuses owed by its federation. Also in 2019, some women on Brazil's national team, the female Canaries, quit to protest the lack of support from their federation after years of complaints. In 2015, the Australian women's team, the Matildas, went on strike to demand higher wages from their federation. In 2018, players from Trinidad and Tobago, the women's soccer warriors, begged for donations, yeah, begged for donations on social media so they could compete in their own World Cup qualifiers and so on. In 2019, the Jamaican reggae girls qualified for their first Women's World Cup. But that happened only after legendary reggae musician Bob Marley's daughter, Sedela, spent her own money to resurrect the team after the Jamaican Football Federation stopped funding it. The incident was framed as a story of triumph for the reggae girls, but it is also quite clearly a story of failure for a system that allows federations 
to ignore women's football programming. FIFA could incentivize federations to care more about the Women's World Cup by significantly increasing its prize money for all participants, but they have so far refused to do so despite no obvious rationale for their inactions. For the previous World Cup cycle, FIFA had offered 13 times more money for the men's tournament than the women's event. But if you ask FIFA why 13 times specifically, it cannot explain it. The men's World Cup does not bring in 13 times more revenue. Media rights and sponsorships for the men's and women's tournaments have always been sold together as a bundle. And FIFA never attempted to figure out how much the women's event was worth as its allocated prize money. The Men's World Cup does not attract 13 times more TV viewers. The last time around was only about four times. The Men's World Cup does not sell 13 times more tickets. The last time around was also about three times. In fact, when FIFA doubled its prize money for the Women's World Cup from the 2015 tournament to 2019, it also increased the men's prize money so much so at the same time that the gap between the men's and women's tournament got bigger, not smaller. Given the recent record-setting growth of the women's tournaments, it only seems logical that the gap should be shrinking, not widening. It is hard to see FIFA's logic in making the gap bigger, unless you consider the possibility that FIFA does not care as much about women's football as they say they do. Indeed, it is hard to give FIFA the benefits of the doubts after its years of treating the women's game as a secondary concern. And that's being generous, to be quite frank. From artificial toughs at the World Cup to comments from a FIFA, former FIFA president that tighter shots from women might grow the sport. Yes, you heard that right. Tighter shots. To a glaring lack of investment, women's football has had to put up with treatment from FIFA that the men's game has never had to. Unfortunately, this plan for a biennial World Cup, which glosses over past the potentially negative impacts of, on the women's game, is simply just the latest example. That is all we have for episode 16 of the True Board Podcast. Production, editing, and fact-checking were done by Akinola and Bidemi Ologunde. Audio engineering and graphic design by Bidemi Ologunde. Please join us again on the next episode as we continue with deep dives on football news, updates, rumors, and analysis. Make sure to subscribe to the True Ball Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, 
or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, please do share the show with anyone you think might benefit from it. For questions, comments, or any suggestions, please send an email to trueball10 at gmail.com. Again, trueball10 at gmail.com. Please remember to leave a review for the podcast if your podcast platform allows you to do so. Thank you so much for your time. See you on the next episode. Bye for now.